But uh, tonight, go ahead and go to Hebrews. Hebrews is where we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 1. I've been thinking about doing a study through Hebrews for quite a while, um, mostly because you know there's a lot of great stuff that we can learn in there too. But also, uh, there was a, a, a well-known preacher who's a dispensationalist I was listening to a while back, and he was kind of talking about Hebrews like it's a dangerous book. You can get into a lot of heresy you know, if you're not careful with Hebrews, if you don't know how to rightly divide. And it's like, I'm thinking, who talks about a book of the Bible like it's dangerous? I mean, you know, all Scripture is profitable, you know. And, uh, it, you know, and I understand you've got to take things in its context, right, and everything. But it was just like, seemed like Hebrews was especially scary to him. Well, the more that I've been, you know, studying the stuff about dispensationalism, the more I realize that Hebrews destroys it. And I think that's why they want to scare you away from Hebrews. There's a lot of things that I don't want, I, I don't think they want you to see in the book of Hebrews. And, um, and so I thought, you know what? Uh, I think we need to teach through the book of Hebrews. And there's a, there's a lot of great things in there. And then plus, I just read a book, um, I think I read it yesterday <clears throat> or um, on Monday, um, The Continuation of the Church in the Wilderness. I did a book review on, that I put on, on YouTube this morning. I want to refer to some of it, but I, there was a lot of things that were in there that mentioned too from the book of Hebrews. I was like, man, that's, that is so good. I want to teach on some of that stuff. And so uh, I was like, yeah, I, I think we need to do Hebrews right now. And so we'll go ahead and start reading Hebrews in verse 1. We're just going to go verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. We're just going to do chapter 1 tonight. And some really interesting things that we can see just here in chapter 1. And then, so first verse, it says, God who at sundry times... And in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay, so right here, this first verse, this verse I've heard used to, as proof of dispensationalism before. Just because of what it says, you know, God at sundry times and in divers' manners. And that's supposed to translate into, you know, the multiple dispensations and the multiple ways of salvation and all that stupidity. But, you know, the word sundry, you know, it just means in many ways. Okay? God, what, you know, so what does this verse actually mean? Well, it just means that God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Alright? It just means God, in many different ways, throughout time, He spake to the prophets. Okay? And you can see some of that in the Bible. For example, you know, in Isaiah chapter 20, yeah, go ahead and turn over to Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 1 through 4. I, I want us to read this. This is, this is just kind of one of those passages in the Bible. It'll make you scratch your head a little bit. But it says, In the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it, at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners and the Ethiopians captive, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. You all know, see what just happened right there? For three years, God wanted Isaiah to go around naked and barefoot, even with his buttocks uncovered. Why? Well, because, you know, God spoke in divers' manners in the time past. And so, why would God have somebody do something like that? Well, because God had made a prophecy about something that was going to happen. 
And, you know, if they would have just wrote about it and put it in the newspaper or something back then, which they didn't have a newspaper back then, what do you think they'd have done with it? They'd have tore it all up, right? And so God wanted that message to be out there. So what does he do? He has this prophet walking around naked. And then everybody in town, they're walking, hey, uh, where's that guy's clothes? Why is he doing that? And then they would all be reminded about that prophecy that he had given. And so, say so that's that's a... Weird way to speak. Well, that's what God did during that time. I thank God He doesn't do that today. I thank God that He has spoken to us a way that's much better, that's much clearer. We have the completed Scriptures. And I don't have to walk around naked and barefoot to get any message across. I'll just read what the Bible says about that. And man, I'm thankful I'm thankful for that. But that was something that God did in the Old Testament. There are many things like that that you can see in the Bible. We see God spoke to Moses one time in a burning bush, didn't He? That was pretty unique. That was, a, that was a different way of speaking. Sometimes God's, there were times when God spoke to Moses face to face. God would sometimes give His Word directly through the mouth of, mouth of prophets. Sometimes he would, have that, he would write things on tables of stone, like the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, God spoke to Elijah you know, in that still small voice, you might remember. And you know, there, there's, you know, there's all kinds of different ways that God would speak to the prophets. And there was often different ways that God would have the prophets, you know, communicate the message to the people. That's all that Hebrews chapter one is saying. But then when it gets in the end of chapter one, it's saying here or chapter or verse one, he say, or in uh, verse two, I'm sorry, says hath in these days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed an heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So in that Old Testament, you see God speaking in many different ways throughout time. But here in these last days, he said he has spoken to us by his son. Is that not a better way than was ever spoken before? You realize all those prophets in the past that spoke, you know, these were flawed men. Now these guys spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But at the same time, these guys had some of their own problems. They had some of their own infirmities. But here, God sent Jesus Christ, His own Son, to this earth. And He spoke things that we now have. He, and He did all the things that He did. And so now we have a much clearer picture of salvation. We have a greater knowledge of God than those they did back in the Old Testament. Things are more clear. We have less excuse today. To, you know, not be saved because in these last days, God has spoken unto us by his son. And so that's what he's saying right here in Hebrews chapter one. And to say that this is teaching dispensationalism and, you know, multiple gospels and things like that, that that's absolutely ridiculous. You're just totally reading into it. So, you know, Hebrews one, two, it's showing us how God spoke through Jesus, uh, his son. And we see here too, he's showing, because remember, he's talking to Jews here, right? And he's showing how God has now spoken in the last, or Jesus, he's not another God, okay? He, but he was another manifestation of God, all right? That's very clear. We're not going to go back and look at all the verses in John. We talked a lot about this when we were doing the study of the book of John. But understand that when Jesus Christ came, when God, when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, this was not another God coming into the being. This was the God that was always around. All right? It was the same God, but 
we were it, we were getting, you could say, another revelation of God. So we're getting a clearer picture of God. We now are learning much more about God because He's been now manifest in the flesh through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so, but it's very clear throughout the book of John and throughout, throughout the New Testament that this was, in fact, the very God that they served in the Old Testament. Not another God, the same God. And so Hebrews 2.9, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but, um, you know, the, and the truth is too, and we see this throughout the book of Hebrews, okay? Throughout the book of Hebrews, he is showing how that Jesus Christ, he's always been the one that they worship. The God that they talk about throughout the Old Testament, it was Jesus Christ. It was always Jesus Christ. And I want to read you all, uh, some of this uh, from the book, the Continuation of the Church in the Wilderness. I'm going to read uh, pretty much you know, chapter 4 in his book. It's all just Scripture. And I'm, share, I'm sharing this with you because I'm, I, this, this was such a breath of fresh air when I read this book. Out of all the dispensational garbage I've been seeing coming from the IFB world, it was nice to hear somebody you know, calling the dispensational garbage out. And I want to show you because chapter four it was Christ in the church in the wilderness. And listen to all this scripture. Just listen to these scriptures that I read for these people too that act like you know they didn't have faith in Christ in the Old Testament. You know to use that as proof that there was another gospel. Listen to some of these verses. Acts seven thirty seven. This is Stephen preaching here, and he says, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles given to us. You all see that? He's talking about Jesus, and he's saying, This is the one that was with the church in the wilderness. He's saying, Stephen said that, a man full of the Holy Ghost said, you know who that was? It was Jesus. Matthew eleven thirteen. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. You realize all the prophets, all the Old Testament, it talked about Jesus until John the Baptist. You could say he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And who is it that John the Baptist preached about? He preached about the one that was going to come after him whose shoes he was not worthy to unloose. And who was that? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ showed up. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so all the Old Testament prophets preached about Jesus. Luke 1.68, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spake by the mouth of His holy prophets which have been since the world began. Luke 18.31 Then took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Now, what were those things that needed to be accomplished? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, correct? What is it that these dispensational weirdos are always saying? They didn't know anything about the death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. They didn't know nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, it was another gospel. But wait a minute. When Jesus was talking about going to do the death, burial, and resurrection, He said, I'm going to do the things that were written by the prophets. So you know what? And when the Bible talks about you know His death, 
In the burial and resurrection, it kept saying, in 1 Corinthians, it kept saying, according to the Scriptures. Talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament was all about Jesus Christ and the Gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. Luke 24, 25. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Y'all see that? Now this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He's talking to these men on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about, you know, they've, they've heard this rumor about the resurrection. And what did Jesus use to prove that He did in fact rise from the dead? Did he, go, did he look at them right then and say, hey, look, here's proof, I'm right here. No, He did Moses and the prophets. He went to the Old Testament and said, there's the proof of the resurrection. There's the proof of the death, burial, and resurrection. He used the Old Testament. Verse 44, And He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning Me. Talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. John 1.45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They found the Messiah who Moses wrote about. Okay? Well, you know, they're like, oh, they weren't looking forward. You know, remember Bill Grady, that famous clip? You know, that's the biggest, dumbest bunch of junk you've ever heard of what he said. Well, right here it shows these guys, they were looking for a Messiah. And they're saying, hey, we found him. The one that was Moses and the law and the prophets did right. I mean, right, that's pretty clear. John 5.46 For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? John 6.14 Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. John 7.40 Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Referring to the one that was written about in the Old Testament. Acts 3.18 By those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets, that Christ should suffer, He has so fulfilled. Uh, verse 24 Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Acts 7.52 Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom ye have now uh, been now the betrayers and murderers. Acts 10.43 To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. Oh, wait a minute. I thought in the Old Testament it taught faith plus works. Isn't that what they're saying? Old Testament taught faith plus works. But no, here it says to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. I mean, that destroys that right there. Acts 13, 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Uh, verse 27, for they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. They, the prop, they read these things every Sabbath day. This is something they read about. Something they were looking for. Acts 15.21 For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach Him 
being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. He said most of old time, they had Jews all over the world, synagogues all over the world where they were preaching him talking about Jesus Christ every Sabbath day. They were preaching him. Right? I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. And you know, well, there's just a few more. Well, actually, there's a lot more. But is that not enough to prove it? All right, there's a lot more to prove it. And you know what? I have some people acting like, you know, what are you doing endorsing this book? You know, he's pre-trib and Zion. You know what? I don't care. I am so glad to see somebody else that's not from our crowd calling out this dispensational salvation, multiple gospel junk. I am thrilled to death to hear it. And you know what? I'm telling you, that, that's, that's good stuff right there. There's a lot of good ammo in there. And I'm going to use it. I don't care. And we see here, just in those verses, just some of them, didn't even read them all. And there's many other ones that show that it was always Jesus Christ in the, in the wilderness, in the Old Testament. He was in the church in the wilderness. Oh, church started at Pentecost. Well, why did Stephen talk about the church in the wilderness? Uh, it was a different church. Oh, so now you're the replacement theology people. You think, you know, the New Testament church replaced the Old Testament church. I personally think we're all of the same body. So, you know, who's replacement theology now? I think it's the other crowd that's replacement theology. If you ask me, you know, since that's such a terrible term in their world, just throw it right back in their face. But man, I'm, I'm telling you right now, uh, this, I, this stuff, this stuff has got to go. This teaching is so bad. And so many of these people, because, you know, they're being challenged on a lot of these, uh, these things, they're just going off and they're listening to these rucktards and people like that. And it's just sad. And it's so obvious. It's all over the scripture that all these people are doing is causing confusion. And the truth is the book of Hebrews, I mean, it's just showing how Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. Whoever the writer is, the book of Hebrews, I don't know who it is. I, I feel like it's Paul. All right. If I'm, when I'm going through these, if I'm saying Paul said, I, I understand nobody knows for sure who did it. It just seems like Paul to me, you know, but well, Paul, he addressed every one of his epistles. The first word is always Paul. Why didn't he do that in Hebrews? Well, maybe he didn't feel like he needed to because it was his brethren. You know, when I write a note to my wife, you know, I don't usually sign my name. You know, I don't need, you know, she's going to know from me. You know, it's just a family. You know, you're, you're close. Maybe uh, it was just more personally. didn't see the need to. I don't know. It's just an opinion. It didn't have to be Paul. But at the same time, I just, I always think of it as Paul when I'm reading it. It's, just, it's a picture I've got in my head. And if I say that a few times, don't hold it against me. Uh, I could definitely be wrong. But he's trying, he's throughout the book of Hebrews, he's talking, Jesus fulfilled everything. That, hey, Hebrews, you're not serving another God by following Jesus. This is the God that your father served. And you shouldn't be confused. Don't, don't get thrown for a loop because of the fact that it's this Jesus that some of you might have even seen that you, that you were there. Maybe you saw him yourself. Because you know what? God, in sundry times and in divers' manners, spake. And in these last days, he has spoken by his son, showing that this, this is not something that's new. Okay? This is what we've been waiting for. This is what was prophesied. You are not throwing out your old way of life. Okay? You, are, you are doing what we were always meant to do. Okay? And if you were a Jew and you did, you 
stop doing those sacrifices and the keeping of the law and the carnal ordinances and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you weren't necessarily turning your back on anything. You were actually going forward with what you had always been doing because of the fact that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all those things they did, all those sacrifices, all those ceremonial things. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And you know, even as Baptists, don't we get pretty stuck in tradition sometimes? I mean, it's real easy for us to get stuck in tradition. Well, imagine how it was for them, you know, after all those years of sacrificing lambs for now somebody to come along and say, you don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore. I could see that being hard for some people and they might feel, and it would be easy for an unbelieving Jew to make them feel like, hey, you are denying your faith. You know, you're going against what your fathers taught. But they weren't. No, this is what our fathers were waiting for. This is what the prophets prophesied of. And we are not denying anything by leaving that old way behind and trusting in Christ. This is what we were meant to do. Because this Jesus, He is the God that our fathers served, but he is, he is, God has now been revealed to us in a more complete way. And that's what, he's, that's what he's trying to show here. And so you can see too how even today, these people in the dispensational world, how they just complicate things and they get everything all mixed up. And they're, it's like they've, they're the ones that have created two separate people of God. You know, the church and Israel. They're the ones that are always doing that like they're two separate things. Okay, And I will admit that the church and physical Israel are two different things, but not spiritual Israel. They're the same thing. And so, look at verse 3. I think this is, there's some pretty interesting stuff here. So, verse 3 says, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins..." Sit down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten in the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Right here, the writer of Hebrews is showing the exalted position of Christ. Showing how he's so much better than the angels. What he's doing right here, he's showing them he's not just, he was, Jesus Christ was not just an angel or some special, you know, messenger sent from heaven. He's showing that wait, this is the only begotten Son of God. Okay? Don't look at Jesus as just some, like Muhammad does, as just a prophet. Or as, uh, you know, some people do just a good man or as the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, well, they, they don't even see him as God, period. But, you know, or maybe some religions as another God. No, don't see him as anything like that. No, this was the only begotten son of God. This is somebody special. He never said that about the angels. He never said anything like that. And we're just, I'll show you, that's an actual quote, too, from the Old Testament so he's showing the exalted position of Christ. And he and in chapter 2 of Hebrews verse 9, he said, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. 
So Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. What does that mean? Well, I was talking about, you know, physically, okay? Because we're lower than the angels, are we not? And he was made in the likeness of man. And he, uh, we're not going to read it, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you know, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient uh, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So we see that Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made, he made himself lower than the angels, but was he lower than the angels? No, he was the son of God and he was the only begotten of the father. God never said that about anybody else, but he did say that about Jesus Christ and he highly exalted him. He set, he sits at the right hand of the father on the throne. So this is just showing here, right here. He's showing here in Hebrews, these Jews that, you know, this, this wasn't just an angel. This wasn't just somebody extra from heaven. This wasn't a great man. This was the only begotten son of God. And that was something that was important for them to understand. And then in verses five through 12, I think basically what he's doing right here, he's showing that Jesus is the one the Old Testament spoke of. Because pretty much all these verses are quoting Old Testament Scripture. And a great habit, I say this all the time, I'm going to say it again, when, you read in the, when you're reading in the New Testament and you see a quote from the Old Testament, go back and look. There's almost always something that you're going to learn. And I'm going to show you something really interesting that I've, I've never noticed before uh, when I just went back and I looked at the Scripture that it was quoting. But um, let's go ahead and look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, For unto which of the angels saith he, or said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's a quote of Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Okay, now, and we talked about this a long time ago. In Psalms chapter 2, you know, it seems kind of vague, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't seem real clear. But God put all those things in the Old Testament like that. So after what happened, people could go back and look and say, yep, this was God's plan all along. And so in Hebrews, he's showing them all these verses from their Old Testament. Why? Proving that Jesus was, in fact, the one that our fathers worshipped. Jesus Christ is the one the law talked about. So, I mean, right here, he's just, he's just legitimizing Jesus Christ with the Scriptures, with the Old Testament Scriptures. But also, look at 2 Samuel. This is interesting. okay? Because at the end of verse 5, it says, and again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Well, when was that quoted? Well, that's in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. Now, this is interesting. Look at what it's... Um, not actually verse 12. We're going to start reading in verse 12. It's actually in verse uh, 14. Verse 14, it says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. That's what it's quoting. But let's read the stuff before and after that. Because you say, that, that can't be about Jesus. Well, let's, let's keep reading. Second uh, Samuel 7, verse 12, And when the, thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, and shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. 
But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan speak unto David. Now, can anybody see why? How could verse 14 be talking about Jesus? Because it says, if, if he commit iniquity. Well, how could Jesus commit iniquity? You know, he says, you know, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him. How can that be talking about Jesus? Okay? Remember, God in sundry times in a diverse manner spake by the mouth of the prophets. Okay? Here he's speaking through Nathan the prophet. He's talking to David. And when you're reading, when you look at this prophecy, it looks like he's talking about Solomon, doesn't it? It's looking, it looks like he's talking about Solomon. Okay? But he says... That he was going to establish, he said, I will establish thy kingdom with him that shall proceed out of thy bowels, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Was that prophecy about Solomon, or was it about Jesus? What's that? Right, because, exactly. See, because the truth is, Jesus didn't even come from the line of Solomon, did he? Now, legally he did, but physically he came from the line of Nathan, who was David's son. Alright? And at the same time, where it says, if he committed iniquity. Alright? Well, obviously Jesus didn't commit any iniquity. However, you know, he took our sin upon him, didn't he? And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Didn't it? And... God established his kingdom, the kingdom of David, through David's seed, which was Jesus Christ. And so you, you, look, you look at that there and it's like, wow, that's pretty deep for one thing. But you can see, though, how this clearly was always God's plan. I, I'm sure you know, it's like when David heard that, he, you would, he's got to be thinking about Solomon, right? But no, this clearly, it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ and it says, I will be him a father, he should be my son. And we know that's talking about Jesus Christ because it's mentioned specifically in Hebrews. And we know that the throne was established forever in Jesus Christ, not in Solomon. I mean, the next generation after Solomon, the kingdom was split and later the kingdom was destroyed. They haven't had a kingdom, a king there in over 2,000 years from the line of David. Okay, but at the same time, we know that that kingdom is going to be reestablished one of these days. And who is going to be that throne? Well, it's going to be the seed of David, Jesus Christ. And his throne will be established forever. And I, I don't know. I, just, I think that's pretty cool right there. I think, I think that's awesome. It just shows how God always knew what was going on. And Nathan, the prophet, I mean, he spoke about Jesus Christ. That was Jesus that Nathan was prophesying to David about. He might not, David might not have known the name of Jesus. You know, Nathan might not have known the name of Jesus, but it was Jesus that Nathan was talking about to David. So, you know, how much of that stuff they understood, I, I, don't, I don't know. and It doesn't really matter. I, I don't think it's a good idea for us to assume too much about that. But it's crystal clear in the New Testament, the Old Testament was all about Jesus. The prophets spoke about Jesus. They spoke about his death, burial, and resurrection. One gospel Throughout all time. But uh, let's keep reading verse uh, 6. 
So it says, and when he uh, bringeth in the first begotten in the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Showing that he's better than the angels. The angels are going to worship him. Verse 7, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. That's quoting Psalms 104 verse 4, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. Just once again, legitimizing Jesus Christ using Old Testament to line up with what he's writing here in Hebrews. Verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That's quoting Psalms 45, 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So, once again, Psalms talking about Jesus. And Hebrews 1, 8, 9 proves that. Quoting Psalms and applying that to Jesus Christ. Hebrews uh, 1, 10 and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. That's quoting Psalms 102.25. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. So we see here, again, just quoting from the Old Testament. And it's interesting too, you know, because, I mean, it was prophesied way back in Psalms about his years having no end. That had to cause them scratching their head a little bit too, you know, because you wonder how much they knew. So we're going to get a king one of these days who's never going to die? Yep. And that's a reference to Jesus Christ. And this is just a side note. Right? It's completely off subject. But notice what it says in here too. Because this was something that I learned I'd never heard before until I was at the post-trib conference. But you know, we all hear about the new heaven and the new earth, right? And I've always thought it was meant, you know, this world was one day going to, you know, disappear and be gone. And a whole new one was going to come into being. But the truth is, you know, this world will always be around. And it's notice how it says there in Hebrews it, uh, in verse one eleven it says they shall perish, okay? But thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment, okay? Now physically, we're going to perish one of these days, aren't we? Physically, not spiritually. However, the Bible says you know we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? We believe we are going to resurrect with a new body. Okay, and God, we know that God is going to change, though it's going to be this vile body that gets changed into the new body. And he uses the same terminology here in Hebrews about the world, that this world, it is going to perish. It's going to die, but he's going to change it. Verse 12, and as a vesture, thou shalt fold them up and they shall be changed. So we see that this world, one of these days, it's going to die, but God's going to transform it. So it's not going to be like a whole new world. It's going to be one that's changed. That's just kind of a side note uh, there, but uh, something interesting that I learned recently. But I believe that Hebrews 
one legitimizes that whole thing. Showing that this world, it will always be here. Because there's, there's a lot of verses in the Bible talk about the world abiding forever. Okay, but we see about it passing away too. Well, don't, isn't that what we call it when people die too? We call it passing away. But it's going to be revived and it's going to be changed. And God's going to deal with these world one of these days. So, just an interesting thing, that, that's bonus there. That's free. We won't even take an extra offering for that. But uh, look at verse, look at verse um, 13. Says, um, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So angels, we see here once again, because he had been talking about how he was so much better than the angels. You know, he got, you know, to which of the angels said he at any time, now my son, this day have I begotten thee. Right here, he's showing that the angels, they are just ministering spirits, but the promises of God, those things were to Jesus Christ and those who are in Christ. Because it mentions how they are just, they are ministering spirits. We see, um, when Jesus fasted in the wilderness for the 40 days, you know, after he was done, the angels, they came and they ministered unto him. And it was interesting, um, Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. So not only is Jesus so much better than the angels, and I could preach a whole message just on this, I'm not going to do it, I'm just going to kind of hit a few of the highlights, but not only is Jesus so much better than them, that we are going to be above the angels. We are going to be, please don't take this the wrong way with what I'm about to say, because it's going to sound satanic what I'm about to say. We will be like the Most High. We, will, we are. We are going to be heirs with Christ. We're going to be able to sit with Him on the throne. Okay. Now, this is not satanic. Okay. Satan, he got lifted up. He looked at himself and how great he was. And he thought he would be like the Most High. But you know what? The only reason we're going to be like the Most High is because of what He does for us. Because... We have been born of God. It has nothing to do with any of our works. I mean, we're filthy. We're vile. But when we got saved, He changed us. He made us like Him. And you know what? God had to do it that way. It was the only, the only way God could get us into heaven was to make us like Him. Because of the fact that man sinned. Man fell. You know, that which is born of Adam, you know, it's, it's earthy, it's sinful, it, it, it perishes. But that which is born of God, you know, sinneth not. That which is born of God, uh, you know, it, it is, it's different. And we see that when we get saved, we have a new birth. We are, we become, we are now in Christ. And we now receive His righteousness. So it was like, you know, it's, Jesus couldn't do something, it was like He couldn't do something where he could have just given us a spot in heaven to avoid help. No, he had to basically make us to join air with himself. That's pretty amazing right there when you stop and think about that for a little bit. And so, uh, we're going to be able to sit with him in his throne. We're going to have his righteousness. I'm not saying we're better than him. Not that all. Any goodness we have, it's because of Christ. Anything we have is because He's given it to us, because He's shared it with us. And what a wonderful thing that is. And so, we see that we are going to sit with Him in His throne. And notice how it says in Hebrews, uh, 
113 uh, says, you know, but to which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I make the enemies thy footstool? He never said any angels sit on my right hand, but God did say that to Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus Christ said, we're going to get to sit with him on his throne. Do you see the company that we have been put in because of Christ? I mean, we're better than the angels. We're going to be better than the angels. So we're not there yet. But I mean, that is an amazing thing. Those are some great promises. And Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 says, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? We're going to judge the angels. Now, I don't know how much the angels understand. I don't know how much the angels know. But what must the angels be thinking right now? What do you think the angels are thinking when they look at Brother Lonnie and they're all having a conversation among themselves. They say, can you guys believe he's going to be our boss one of these days? <laughs> I mean, you know, that shows how obedient they are to God. You know, and uh, you know, and there, there's there's people that teach uh, that some of the apocryphal books, the ones that never even were attempted to get in the Bible. They all tell the same story about how that was what caused the fall of Satan. You know, God told him to worship man. He's like, I'm not worshiping those hairless apes and all that. You know, and and he, uh, you know, he wasn't willing to do that, and so that was what caused his fault. I don't believe that at all. But at the same time, it's kind of a believable story when you think about, you know, angels worshiping or you know serving us one of these days. But I, maybe it's because they understand that when they're serving us, it's going to be because we're going to be like Christ, not in this messed up condition. But when you're thinking like a human, I can see the angels having a problem with it. I, I, I really do. But uh, thankfully, they're obedient. So the book of Hebrews, I mean, it's a book that lifts up Jesus. It shows that the Old Testament was all about Jesus. And the, and the book of Hebrews is a reminder that we are a part of something God started way back there in the wilderness. You know, uh, you know it's, and... The dispensationalists have got it in our heads that we need to forget sometimes. You know, it's like we see those Jews and the children of Israel as like another group. But, you know, we should see them as our forefathers. As, a, uh, you know, that we are a part of that group. Just because we're not related to them physically, that means nothing. What matters, once again, is are they in Christ? And so... Uh, just some great things we see there in Hebrews. And we're going to see a lot more of that. And one of the things that I'm going to make sure I do is I'm studying this for sure. And, I, and I'm hoping to do this throughout all of the, these studies is I want us to look at all the Old Testament scriptures that Hebrews is quoting. Because it uses a lot. And it's a lot. These ones here in chapter 1 is using Old Testament scriptures to talk about Jesus. And so that's a very important thing to understand. We've got one book here. There's one God, one way of salvation throughout all time. And more proof of that tonight. So I hope that was helped you. So let's stand.